Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. Bleachers suck, Zach. Okay. They're uncomfortable to sit in, regardless of how many people are near you. The, uh, you're talking specifically the metal ones, like the ones that are just a big metal rectangle? Metal ones, wood ones, plastic ones I've seen, they all suck. Okay. They're uncomfortable no matter I... what shape they're in or yeah, what I agree. they're made of. So, you and I need to invent a new type of bleachers. <laughs> okay. Because they're ridiculously bad right now. My requirements are that they need to be comfortable, they need to allow people to see over the person sitting in front of them, and they should be... They should probably be retractable because a lot of venues with bleachers have limited space. Okay. And those are my only requirements. If you and I can come up with something like that, I'm sure people would appreciate it. They were comfortable, retractable, and what? And they allow more people to fit to see an event. Okay. Because you could just make everyone sit on the floor, but they wouldn't be able to see in front of the person ahead of them, necessarily. I also don't think that... Counts as comfortable, necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you can give them comfortable... You can give them recliners, but, like, you can't fit that many people in if there are recliners. Okay. Uh, Right now, my best option is, uh, like, the the Dreamliners, I think, are the the theaters you can go to. Mm -hmm. Um, So a combination of those and then the car seats that fold down for bonus storage. Okay. So... (laughs) <laughs> okay so you got retractable and comfortable and you're just thinking you're gonna just have well, yeah you can you can rake them still yeah put them on different levels do you think i mean that's uh they take up a good amount of space yeah do you think that there's any way to reduce their footprint i guess and still be comfortable you're saying like have it be a really big foldable couch as opposed to individual... I think so. I think that's a better idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like where you're going. You, it's same idea as bleachers, where they come out of the wall. Yeah. Except when they come out of the wall, they pop open and re- reveal a, um, a, co- a comfy little mm-hmm. couch to sit on. It doesn't even have to like lean back like the dream loungers do. Yeah. Tiered futons. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, all right. Well... Was there something that inspired this, or...? Yes, I went to a show in which they twirled batons, and there was just a ton of people there, because they're going to nationals, the team was. Mm. It, it was really impressive, but um, it I, I was sitting there, and it was it was a long show. It was like two and a half hours of baton twirling, and it was all really fun to watch, but um, after a while, you, you, you're sitting in the, those bleachers, and you either have to hunch yourself over because you, your back gets tired or mm-hmm. you have to sit up completely straight so that your spine rests on itself, I guess. Yeah. And neither of which are comfortable for long periods of time. So at the end, you're just going back and forth between the two and the people around you think you're crazy. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, I just wish that it wasn't like that because it was like new bleachers. As far as I could tell, they were the plastic ones that uh, when you fold them all up, they spell something in different colors. What? <laughs> the front of the bleachers, the part facing the gym. Okay. Um, some of the seats were a different color as to oh, spell okay, out a gotcha. word when you folded them back into themselves. Huh. 
And yeah, so they were like, they were newer and they were motorized and all the stuff that the school wanted, but none of the stuff that a reasonable person sitting in bleachers would want. Well, they do make the the bring along yourself cushions mm-hmm. that you can get that have like a little back support strap. Yeah, but like... That's a lot of extra work. It is a lot of extra work and not everyone has them and you just want your audience to be comfortable regardless of if they paid the extra, what, $30, $40 to get the, the cushy seat mm-hmm. that you have to bring along yourself. No, that's silly. You should, as a venue, you should be providing your, your customers with um, reasonable reasonably comfortable seating. Mm-hmm. So so the other thing is a lot of bleachers um, aren't necessarily retractable, but they need to withstand being outdoors mm. for a lot. So how do you make an all-weather futon? It doesn't even need to be retractable. Right. Tiered futon. Hmm. Without getting into um, any unreasonable costs, because my initial thought was, well, have when they sense moisture, too much moisture, they... Um, compress to like ring themselves out <laughs> that's funny but no i was thinking they just have a like a dome when it starts raining gotcha just a self doming okay. structure or heck you could just make the whole bleacher section a greenhouse so if you're outdoors then it just gets off the greenhouse and everyone inside can enjoy their futon but um yeah i agree that's uh i, I see your face and it's telling me that that's not a good idea and i agree um, well, because there are sports events that happen in the summer, and you don't want cooked audience members. Fine. <laughs> the only thing I can come up with is a less comfortable futon, but still more comfortable than the metal bleachers, um, that has a a plastic coating, essentially, that doesn't allow moisture to get through. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well. Problem solved. Another one <laughs> down, but again, no one will inter- implement because of expenses. And what's wrong with the current bleacher system? Well, everyone hates it, so that's something. But no one actually cares what, whether or not you like the bleachers. Yeah, you're, you're there either way. Yeah, they're not going to move the event. Speaking of being comfortable, this oh. pen Ooh. is comfortable, Zach. It is a comfortable pen. It is the Retro 51 Tornado, and this is by far my favorite ballpoint pen. Okay, now now is when I cut it and say, ooh. Yeah. It's crazy smooth. It's so smooth, but not hard to control either. Hmm, okay. It's not one of the ones that you try to make a stroke and go off the page, because yeah. it just goes, it's not enough friction. Um, it is heavy, which I like. Mm-hmm. It feels well-made. Uh, the ink is r- really black, which I like. It's not a requirement, but yeah. it's nice. Um, it looks nice, too. I got the blue model. Um, excuse me. Okay, he does have it on him. I have it on me. It's not my. It's not replacing my pocket pen, but I do find myself keeping it in my pocket. Mm-hmm. That's a really pretty pen. It looks like a Retro 51 Tornado. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, it looks really nice. Uh, the top is, it's a, oh, it's a twist. Okay. And that's my, that's my one concern for it. It's not great for fidgeting. It doesn't, uh, twist that easy and it doesn't, the housing doesn't open up all that easy. And when you do, the spring kind of flies out. (laughs) So, uh, so when I do open it, I have to pay special attention that the spring doesn't open, but 
since I don't do that that often. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't expect to like chew on it or anything. It's not really made for that. No. Would you mind if I tried it out? We oh, can get sure. My, um, uh, I have a notebook field notes right over there. You can get my live two tape on air impressions. Um, there's the back page. It's really orange for some reason. And here we go. Uh, wow. That, that's a good pen. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I, I like this pen. I'm a fan of it. It's, uh, I tend to lose ballpoint pens that I keep in my pocket. Mm. So I don't know how much I would want to get one for me. Do you think it's the fact that they're ballpoint or is that they're mostly been disposable? It's yeah, it is that they're mostly disposable, but also by nature of them being in my pocket, sometimes I sit down somewhere on a bus and it'll fall yeah. out because that's yeah. how pockets work. That makes sense. Um, and you and I talk about, uh, a decent amount about fountain pens on the podcast, but, um, and a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people aren't into that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. if you are looking for a good pen and don't want to have to relearn how to write, this is the one to get. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just a really all around good pen. So uh, highest recommendation for a ballpoint pen. <laughs> good. My one note on that for, for a lot of your stuff, I just say, leave it to Steven or like put a question mark for the better bleachers. Mm-hmm. But for that one, I just wrote, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, dear listeners, but we were terribly mistaken about quantum entanglement on the last podcast. Yeah, I, I don't even know how, but I, I know that we were. Yep. So I wanted to look into it more because I didn't understand exactly how it worked. And I realized that we didn't know anything in that article really misled us. So I'm blaming that. Yeah. Um, they, uh, China was using quantum entanglement to generate encryption keys, not to transmit data. Okay. So this is how quantum entanglement really works. Uh, So every particle in the universe has a property called spin. It's not technically spinning, but it is angular momentum around an axis. Don't ask me why that's different. That sounds a lot like spinning to me. It sounds a lot like spinning. I don't know why it's not spin, but every source I've found is like, it's not actually spin, but like, it's angular momentum around an axis, but not actually spin. Okay, I guess. No, no, that's not okay. What the heck? Maybe we'll research it. We'll see. Um, it's So it's theorized that the total amount of spin in the universe is equal to zero. Um, so if one particle is spinning up and one particle is spinning down, they have to cancel each other out if you add them all up in the universe. Yeah, if there were only two particles, one yeah. would be up and one would be down. So to keep that balance, when you create photons from energy, like a light bulb, mm-hmm. you, it is, you always create two at a time. And when you create two at a time, one will have the upspin and one will have the downspin. Yeah. And, and you can only do up and down spin. Those are the only spin options. They'll be opposite regardless. Okay. Is the point. Because it's at a quantum level, mm-hmm. you can't see photons spin. Yeah. You can't you can't know what they're spinning before you measure the spin. Okay? okay. So before you measure them, their spin is both up and down because quantum mechanics. Alright. So when you measure one, the other one will flip to the opposite. So if you measure one and it's up uh, and it's spin up, 
the other one will always be spin down. Okay. And so that's for two photons that were created simultaneously from the the same event. Yeah. Okay. Exactly 50% of the time it will be up and and exactly 50% it'll be spin down. Yes. So, but you can't know which one's which and you can't change it once you measure it. Okay. So you can say that, uh, so you can split the two particles up and be light years away from each other. Mm-hmm. Measure them at the same time, they'll still be opposite. Uh, time gets weird when you're light years away, is that? The, the point is that they'll be the same. It'll be opposite no matter how far apart those photons are. Because those two are quantumly entangled. Okay, but now I'm really confused about how you would synchronize the checking of it. It doesn't matter is the point. It... it... You can measure them at different times, too. They're still going to be opposite. Okay. If you just happen to get them at the same time, they're going to be opposite, too. So once once I check my photon, I've got one and you've got one. Yep. Once I check mine, it is always that. Now it's 100% up. Yes. And it doesn't go back. It doesn't. You can't change it. Okay. And that's why we can't use it to communicate. That's why we were wrong, Zach. Because they're not transmitting any data to the satellites. Yeah. They're just... They're, all they can tell is what information the other one has. Yeah. So if the satellite measures its photon and is like, this is down photon, this is downspin photon, mm-hmm. that means that on Earth they have the upspin photon, which means that I'm going to use this set of encryption keys. Yeah. So when they're transmitting data through lasers or whatever, they can change the the bits every time. You just have a store of photons that were quantum quantumly entangled. Yeah. Okay. So if, hypothetically, as impossible as this probably is, we were able to influence a photon to measure two up or down. Okay. I, understanding that that's something that with our current mm-hmm. conception of quantum physics is not possible. Yeah. If we could do that, we could transmit information instantaneously. Yes. But I would like to say again that that is actually impossible based on what we know. Yeah. Because not just because of what we've found, but because of the way it works. And that's that it is both up and down. And if we say, if we try to measure it, it'll be completely random 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. 100% of the time, 50% of the time, it'll be up. Okay. So it's... It's really cool, actually, yeah. that we're still using that we've still found a way to use it. But um, I think that if humans discovered quantum entanglement before inventing mathematical ciphers, then we'd be like, "Well, all right, that's interesting. We have no use for it other than that." Hmm. Yeah, I guess. I I can't think of one at least. Someone probably can, but no, no. If I can't, no one can. <laughs> Speaking of cryptography, Stephen, I've heard something about uh, Zcash. Yeah, uh, Zcash is a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, except about a hundred times more complicated than Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's already pretty complicated. Yeah, but it claims to protect the privacy of the users more than Bitcoin does, because in Bitcoin, uh, a security measure is all the records of every transaction is public. Yep. But in Zcash, all the records of who sent who what amount of money are hidden they're hashed and 
crazy. It's actually pretty crazy. How so they do then it. how do you know who has? Yeah. So the way Bitcoin does stuff is if I want to send Zach 40 bucks, uh, the system first checks that I have the 40 bucks to give him. Mm hmm. And then it goes back into my history of my public account, my public, uh, my public encryption key, and says, "Okay, yeah, um, Stephen received thirty dollars at this date and ten dollars at this date. He can send Zach forty dollars." Yeah, Zcash works completely differently because with Bitcoin, you don't actually have any information. Your your computer doesn't store any information mm -hmm. other than your private key. Okay, with Zcash, you store an actual piece of information, and the process to prove that you have the money to send someone is called non-interactive zero-knowledge proofs. And so that, if we dissect that, it's, uh, it's proof that in which the verifier doesn't get to know the, what the actual information is and can't send or receive any information from the prover besides their proof. What? The fair so the verifier doesn't get to know what the information is that they're proving that they have. Okay. And the verifier can't send or receive any information from the prover besides their proof. And and in this case the proof is saying that the sender has the Zcash to send. Yes. Also, um that it is in fact me that is sending it and not some dude that is claiming to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. It's really, really difficult. Um, so how do you get Zcash in the first place? Like, are, do you mine for it? You can mine for it. Yeah. The same way. Um, but I mean, obviously the easiest way is just to go to a, um, a exchange. exchange, but the mining then is the zero interchange proof thing. Yeah. The ledger in Bitcoin is a record of transactions. It's Zach sent Stephen $30, or two Bitcoin, whatever. Mm -hmm. And with Zcash, the ledger is, these are all the bills that are av available, the hashed version of all of the notes. And so it, that would be, like, before you were talking about sending me $40, that would be the 30 you had received and the 10 you had received? Yes. That, yeah, this, the ledger is a list of all of the possible notes that could be floating around. Yeah. Um, and it's a hash of the serial number and the the person who has it, the, the, the owner's public key. Okay. And when you want to send someone the money, you create a new note and put it on the ledger okay. with your, with the recipient's, um, with the recipient's public key and the new serial number. And then you you have to publish the what's called the nullifier on the other part of the ledger. So, which is basically just saying, hey, I can't use this anymore. I've spent this money. Okay. This, this yeah. number is no longer valid. The complicated part is proving that first you are who you say you are without revealing who you are, mm -hmm. that you have that money without revealing what money you have and who you're sending it to has to prove that they are who they are without telling you who they are. The system, that is. Sounds easy-peasy. Yeah. It's a lot. I, I really tried to write something. I couldn't. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of math. It's a lot of 
really cool math. I wish I could tell you more about it because it is a really cool system. I first learned about it on a Radiolab episode, and they mostly focused on the trials and tribulations of the initialization of the system because at at the base of the system, there's a secret key that is kept secret from everyone. Not even the creator knows it. And that is what all the notes are built off of. And if you knew that, in theory, you could counterfeit Zcash. Mm. But, and I thought it was super interesting, but they just glossed over how it works. And I know why they did that now. Is the secret key stored somewhere on a computer, or is it a part of the algorithm? It's now part of the system, but it was it was created to initialize the system, create all the bills, and then it was destroyed. Okay. And there's a big uh, ceremony, I guess. <laughs> And it was really interesting. It was that they had uh, four or five different computers, and they all were disconnected from the internet entirely, uh, all with security cameras monitoring the computer mm-hmm. while it was making the key, make sure no one was tampering with it. They burned it. They burned their part of the key onto a DVD. Yep. Um, and then sent the DVD to the next computer, in which in that computer would generate the that their part of the key and then it would go around the circle back to the last one and then they would destroy the dvds when they're done they destroyed the computers when they were done it was yeah it was nuts actually holy cow and yeah they ripped out the network controllers Um, yeah it was quite the process yeah that sounds extreme but when you're dealing with a currency yeah it's probably a good idea though because the whole thing is, it's based on trust. Trust that they actually did this. Mm-hmm. And that they can't just get themselves rich by counterfeiting their own currency. Speaking of computers. <laughs> that is very broad. Yeah, so, well, well taking, taking older... Speaking of taking older technologies and adapting them to the modern age. There you go. That's much better. I bought a set of round typewriter-style keycaps for my mechanical keyboard. Okay. And they look really nice. Um, I don't know if I'm going to keep them on there, though. Will there be an image in the show notes somewhere? I can get a link on Amazon, I think. Cool. Um, they don't slow down my typing or anything, but they just have a different feeling to them. Um, they, I don't know, they just kind of make me feel like I'm working to type. With my original keycaps, I would type like I talk. Like, I just think about, I want to type this sentence, and then it appears on my screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, these keycaps make me feel like I'm speaking a different version of English. Like, um, like, like I went to Australia or something and I had, uh, remember that my idioms don't always make sense Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'll, I'll miss sometimes and the keys won't quite feel right. And yeah, it, they look cool though. And I think if I'm ever going to show off my office space, I might put them back on. Yeah. But for now I'm going to keep my, the defaults boring keycaps on yeah because the whole point of the mechanical keyboard is to be comfortable with it yeah it also looks cool that's a handy bonus but overall for you keyboards are about typing typing (laughs) not looking cool it's not a decoration (laughs) it's a tool so do you care about keyboards at all zach yeah i do i'm getting increasingly frustrated with my laptop's keyboard just because the keys are slightly different than the mac keyboard that i used to have oh okay so sometimes i'll shoot for one key and hit another or i'll get between them or something and it just won't quite feel right Hmm. so i think i should look at 
getting one that then I can just switch from computer to computer, probably mechanical. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get an external keyboard, you might as well at this point. Um, I know they sell miniature versions. Uh, the keys aren't smaller or spaced differently. They're just, um, there's no bezel on the edges. It's just, there's a key and then there's nothing mm-hmm. to a millimeter to the right of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, from mechanical keyboards? Yeah, they're... Uh, uh, how do I explain this? It's it is the size of a keyboard and not a centimeter more. Okay. There's no. Yeah. There. There. There's no bezel. I don't. There's know. no edge. There's no edge. It it only fits the keys. Yeah. You couldn't put anything else on there, even if you took apart the case and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And they're pretty small, I guess. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It's an idea. Um. How long were you using your Mac? Four years, I think. Okay. So. It's still reasonable to be mistyping with a different yeah. keyboard. Yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with this one. It's just... It's different. Different. And I'd rather get one that can stay static right. throughout. DOS keyboard has the internet-connected keyboard now. That's what you need. That's exactly what I need. Precisely. It looks cool. <laughs> looks entirely useless, like most <laughs> internet-connected things right now. But it looks cool. All right. What? Is it like, does it trigger an IFTTT? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. And and vice versa, like it's uh, red, green, blue keycaps. Okay. Uh, so each key, the color of it or the flashing of it can correspond to something. Like you could have, I don't remember what it was, like the D key could be, oh, your deadline's coming up. And then as it goes from one point in time to another point in time, it sh- slowly shifts from blue to red to signify how much of a problem this is that it's due yeah, I can deal with my push notifications a little longer if I don't have to connect my keyboard to the internet. Yeah. Without a operating system in the middle. Remember, kids, if you can avoid connecting something to the internet, do it. Yeah. Speaking of which, actually, I'm going to skip ahead because that's such a All right. smooth transition. Uh, Sweden decided to connect... A lot of government files to the internet. You mean like tax records or? Uh, like, I think their version of the DMV, the okay. Swedish Tent Transportation Office. So everyone's um, IDs and. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all the information on uh, weight limits on roads, which apparently give insight to military strategy. Oh, I uh, did not think about that, actually. That is quite interesting. All A uh, lot of information on people who are not supposed to be known, like people in the witness protection programs and that kind of oh, thing. yeah. Okay. Um, that makes more sense. I was thinking spies and why does Sweden need spies, but... Well, yeah, also, like, their equivalent of the SWAT team. Okay. Their yeah. information was a part of this thing that they uploaded to the cloud. It, uh, IBM ran it, but not even in the EU. It was in the Czech Republic or somewhere. Oh, gosh. That's Eastern not Europe. good. Yeah. So... The, the woman in responsible has been fired. Okay, good. And charged a whole $8,000. In American dollars, you mean? Yeah, okay. 70,000 crowns. That is not severe enough. No. Um, I'm sure it's not entirely her fault, but that it, if it's her responsibility to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen, then she deserves more of a punishment for that. That is not okay. Yeah. Okay, so were there any... Um, repercussions for the citizens of sweden uh not so far because it was 
It was that they gave it to IBM and IBM gave it to contractors and stuff just because of some sloppily worded um, agreements between Sweden and IBM, I believe. Okay. So they're still figuring out the entire extent of it. But long story short, it's it's a lot of information that shouldn't be outside of Sweden. Yeah. That's outside of Sweden. Um, that th- there was another issue related. I think it gets brought into it because it's kind of the same thing. Um, but one of these uh, list got out of who's licensed to what vehicle and stuff like that. But it did include the SWAT teams and the witness protection people, which it shouldn't. Like Normally it would. Normally you would be able to uh, freedom of information type thing, get that information right. of who's right. licensed to what vehicles. But usually they would cut out the parts where they've got their SWAT teams and yeah. – uh, and so they didn't release a new version and just say, hey, delete this old one. Here's the new version. They said, here's all the people you shouldn't know about. Please delete these cells oh from gosh. your database. So they gave them a list of people that sh- shouldn't yeah. be on the list. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was it was brought to the attention of people outside of Sweden, mostly by uh, Rick Falkving. Uh, who is the head of the Swedish Pirate Party. Uh, parliamentary systems, you gotta love them. It's, yeah. Um, but his his article that was detailing this included one of my favorite phrases, one of my new favorite phrases spoken by a politician or written by a politician. So any governmental assurances to keep your data safe has have as much value as a truckload of dead rats in a tampon factory. <laughs> I'm trying to find the metaphor and I just can't. I think that's the point. Like he's saying that like if they can't keep their own data safe of mm-hmm. then they can't keep yours for sure and any promises to have hold as much merit as a bunch of rats, a bunch of dead rats at a tampon factory. <laughs> it it might be a language barrier thing with an idiom, but Either way, it's it's a very good phrase. Yeah, definitely. Good find, Zach. Yeah. I would not heard about that. So, Stephen, a lot of times I complain about my Windows computer that I got. Mm-hmm. Because what else are you going to do with technology? <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it would be a lot less bearable if they didn't have something called Windows Subsystem for Linux, which is basically... Uh, little chunk of ubuntu running on windows officially oh okay yeah how do you use that uh it's a setting that you need to go into i can find uh instructions and they'll be in the show notes if you're interested but it means you can run any windows commands and navigate using cd instead of cat or whatever the windows uh so you can run a shell script over bash yeah Okay. Yeah. Uh, or like all of the Polymer tools yeah, right. for writing and running um, Polymer web apps are written for uh, Unix system. Mm-hmm. And so I can use that and access my Windows file system with Linux commands Cool. using this Windows subsystem. And it and... just came out of beta. Oh, okay. Which I don't think has any real difference, except now they just feel confident in, enough in it. 
to no longer have to call it beta. Yeah. Cool. Um, so it's a Microsoft product or is it a... Yeah, it's an official bit of the operating system from Microsoft partnering with Canonical. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. That's never going to happen the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't really need to. No. But yeah, it's good for developers too. I mean, it means that you only have to mm-hmm. create one version and then one version of your shell script and then just link to the code to get the Linux um, subsystem. Yeah. So that was in beta. It no longer is, but you know what still is? iOS 11 is still in beta. Wow. Uh, I was testing out the iOS 11 beta on my iPad, which Apple is claiming to be much better for people who do actual work on their iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I installed it to take notes on ReamD this week, and I used it to research Zcash, actually. And it's actually really awesome. Uh, I enjoyed using it for research, and surprisingly, I didn't mind typing on it that much. Um, Why would you mind typing on it? Uh, it's not quite as big as a full-size keyboard. Oh, okay. And a software keyboard. It doesn't have physical buttons. Yes. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't choose a software keyboard over any physical keyboard, but it wasn't that bad. Um, I think that Apple improved the key tapping recognition, trying to figure out what you actually mean when you typed that. Mm-hmm. And also the autocorrect, which really helped a lot. Um, I was also typing on a QWERTY keyboard. I usually type in Dvorak. So, and there was even a few times that I was looking at what I was typing and not at the actual keys. Oh, can you change the iPad keyboard? You can, but they don't have a default Dvorak one. Not that I don't, I don't think I want it though. Um... Just because it's a good separation between uh, typing on a computer and typing on an iPad in that it on the iPad it's okay to look at the keys because it's a software keyboard and it's QWERTY and I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. But I'm still fairly fast at it. Um, you have a detachable keyboard, so do you often type on the software keyboard? Not much. Usually if it's in, if the keyboard is detached or behind the screen, it's in writing mode so i can just use the pen with it okay and otherwise like if i need to type something more than a couple words long or more than just a password Mm -hmm. then i'll flip it back over and go back to the hardware keyboard would you be okay if i forced you to type on the software keyboard no no okay part partially because i like the having screen real estate Mm -hmm. and the software keyboard takes up half the screen yeah that's another thing but What's what you gotta do to get a yeah. full size keyboard? Um, other than the keyboard, uh, there's just a lot of the multitasking. The apps stay up longer; they don't go back into their hibernation mode as quickly, um, which is good for switching back and forth a lot. Um, and the control center, I'm hearing a lot of people saying it's really ugly. I don't care though; it works fine. Yeah, if, and, it, if it works. Yeah, and it is customizable, which so I can take out the parts I don't need. So that's really, what else do you want from a, well, really, what else do you want from it? I, I think there's just generally a trend whenever there's any new design thing from anyone to... Call it ugly. To call it ugly and pile on hate or praise one way or the other, you need yeah. to take a stand. So someone's going to hate it and someone's going to love it. All right. But yeah, I the screenshots and stuff that i've seen of it and the demos it looks really cool and it gets closer to what i would want in an ipad Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's a file system now. Mm-hmm. Or sort of. It's not, you can't access any of non-personal files, but your apps can access the files from other apps. Yeah. If the other apps say it's okay, which is cool. Uh, while I was working on the iPad, I decided that I wanted to walk. I couldn't just keep sitting down anymore. Mm-hmm. It was really hot out, and I wanted to actually get some work done. So I went down on the treadmill in my basement and set up a... I, I put a board across the handles mm-hmm. and started using the iPad to type. Uh, I started off by just playing solitaire on the iPad and listening to an audiobook. Yeah. Which I think allowed me to get used to walking while doing something else. I don't think I could do it just cold, start working. Mm-hmm. But if you are just walking idly while not doing something super intensive, if you don't need to concentrate while you're walking for the beginning, I think it helps. Yeah. The platform I was using is the perfect height for typing, but is awful for writing. So, mm. and I like to take my ReamD notes with a pen, mm-hmm. but I couldn't because I just couldn't. I my It's writing with your arm fully extended. Yeah. Or mostly extended, at least. Yeah. But, I, I haven't been doing it as much. We talked about um, reading while I was on the treadmill or on the elliptical mm-hmm. and i haven't as much partially because i was doing that right before bed which getting your heart rate up right before you go to bed is not the best idea so i've been trying to rework that but mostly it's just been watching like hbo or youtube or something mm-hmm. now which is still something i'd be doing at another point in the day anyway yeah it's still something to yeah it's better to be on the treadmill than not right yeah um let me ask you something zach this isn't on the agenda, but do you uh, stretch at any point? Sometimes. Because I, I, I don't at okay. all. And I, I, I thought you were going to I wasn't going to get on you. your track no, I sh- high horse. No, I, I really should. I know I should, but I don't. And I don't have a good reason. It's just it's uncomfortable, but that's totally the point. Yeah. I, I mean, I usually just do the one where you hold your ankle for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then like a forward touch your toes mm-hmm. or as close as I can to that. <laughs> um, and then sometimes like lunges, but sure. I, I don't have a full stretching regimen or anything. It's just bits of me that feel sore. I try and mm-hmm. stretch out. I, I've, I uh, listened to a Tim Ferriss episode and there was a coach of some sort that did most of his workouts were stretching mm-hmm. and it was difficult stretching. It was the yoga style, like, your workout today is stretching yeah and it's difficult and it's hard but i've been trying to look for something like that online i just can't really find anything away when you search out when you search uh stretching workouts then you get these are the stretches you should do before a workout <laughs> and that that's all fun and good but it's not what i'm looking for because it sounded really interesting to just stretch as exercise yeah but so dear listeners if you find anything like that let us know over twitter yeah or comments i guess yeah we read the comments we promise batch cooking all right batch cooking i yeah i'm not sure entirely what to say about this just it's a neat trick to do a lot of cooking all at once um last week two weeks ago a little bit ago (laughs) i just one night i went grocery shopping and the next night i just sat down and boiled eggs and 
cut up bananas to freeze and made pot stickers and enchiladas and all kinds of stuff that I've just been working my way through because now since then I haven't had to spend pretty much any time cooking anything. It was just all of that time investment altogether, which I guess is kind of in that the philosophy of that modality thing of getting it all done in one group together. Okay. Um, I also have a pot sticker recipe that I would really recommend. It's in the show notes. When you say pot sticker, yes. I imagine the marijuana leaf bumper sticker. <laughs> so would you please explain what a pot sticker uh, is? It's, I believe, Chinese in origin. It's dough around meat that they pinch together and then you fry it for a little bit and then you steam it. Sounds interesting. It's usually like an appetizer at Chinese restaurants. Okay. Do you have you been but, cooking much yourself, or you're no, going to figure that out in uh, a couple of years once you have your own kitchen? Yeah, that's pretty much my plan. I uh, I'm semi-aware of the chemistry of cooking, mm-hmm. and I think I could do it if I really sat down and learned. And I wouldn't need to like go to culinary school. I just need to be good enough. I just and I think I could take a recipe and improvise from there if I want to improve it. I spent a lot of time, um, I got a foot surgery. And so while I was waiting for my foot to heal up, I spent a whole bunch of time watching Gordon Ramsay's cooking guides and cooking tips. Mm -hmm. So just kind of floating around in my brain is like, here's how to cut an onion. Here's how you make an omelet. Here's how to scramble eggs, (laughs) which comes in handy enough. And sometimes I need to go back to the video to double check, but. Right. Uh, That reminds me of uh, someone I knew. He we we were sitting in a seminar of some sort and he was doodling because we were both bored and he he's never taken an art class of any kind but he sketches out this nice landscape mm-hmm. like of a it was a cabin and some trees and it was a river and a horizon and stuff and it was all like a pen sketch it was just little oh yeah uh little dashes mostly but uh, I'm like that's really good have, have you um which have, you, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you excuse me have you had any formal training and he's like no i um i've been watching bob ross on netflix <laughs> and i'm like really he's like yeah yeah all right i might have to check that out and i never did but um it's in my brain now that if you ever want to learn art just look at some bob ross because he actually knew what he was doing yeah and is now on netflix for your binge watching pleasure and and he does, I've seen a couple episodes of Bob Ross, and he does go through and talk about the thought behind the things that he's doing, too, which is nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you, you mentioned modality, and I wanted uh, just a quick follow-up on how I've been using it, actually. Um, oh, okay. I would like your opinion as well, but I'm going to share what I what my experiences with it, where I implemented it last time on the podcast. Um and I like it a lot, actually. The only issue I have with it is that almost all of my tasks are either airplane mode or search mode. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to make those more granular. Um, more, I need more categories in those two categories. Yeah. What are the categories that you would put them in? I, that's your job. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the creator. All right. Um, I actually haven't... I've been using it, but I also have been using it while... Um, having a couple of fairly eventful weeks. So I haven't uh, had much time to sit down and churn through the to-do list. Uh, Usually it's 
going out and doing things and then kind of putting out fires or doing the things that have due dates very right. quickly. So I, I, the the main benefit it's had is reminding me that sometimes I can sit down and get something done and turn off my phone and disconnect my computer and I'll be fine. No one, no one's contacting me usually and expecting or needing a response back in half an hour or whatever right. time it takes me to get yeah. that thing done. But I think I just need to set aside a couple days as an airplane mode day hmm. to just tell everyone a day in advance, hey, by the way. Yeah, I'm not going to be available for the next 24 hours. Yeah. They're going to be like, hey, are you going on a trip or something? And he's like, nope, I'm going to be in my room. Productivity trip. Yep. I'm going to be in my room. Don't bother me unless there's a fire. So I, th- I think that's my next venture. And maybe when I do that, I'll find some more categories. Okay. But I, the stuff that I have right now, I don't think it would fit into more category. It, mm-hmm. it could be divided evenly, at least. Yeah, maybe I'll make my own. We'll see. Yeah. Do you have any examples, I suppose, of things that would be nice in other categories? Uh, or more? Let me look. One of the ideas I had was that we could have different uh, levels of internet. Because my house has very poor internet. And so some things are bad to do hmm, over a bad okay. connection. So if I, I could have a different context for um, different internet speeds, essentially, which I, I know doesn't quite fit into your... It, it does in a different way, though. Yeah. It fits into, I'm in a place with fast internet. These are things I can get done right now that I can't do later. Mm-hmm. And I... I think if I were to design this as something and put it up on a website somewhere, I probably wouldn't include that. No, I wouldn't either. But the nice thing about these big proper noun systems, like calling it modality, then yeah, there could... there's a set to it, but it also can be mixed and matched with whatever else works for you. Yeah, yeah. So that sounds like a good idea, but not like it would apply to everyone. So what kind of things were you getting done when you were um, using the modality this last couple weeks? Glad you asked. Um, I got the Water Tracker app up on the App Store. It is under the name Another Water Tracker, because there's a ton of them. (laughs) They all suck, except for mine. Except for yours. Yours is great. Mine's great. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I have a list of improvements and features that I want to do. And I'm planning to add, um, but if you want to use it and you can think of any features or improvements, you can send them to me on Twitter or in the comments, I guess. Um, And yeah, I really want to hear what people think of it. Awesome. I don't have an iOS device or I would check it out. So yeah, somebody else go check it out for me. (laughs) If not for me, then for Zach. Yeah. Please. (laughs) Zach uh, saw it the other day and complained that the the colors were wrong essentially but yeah i agree with him although i i'm struggling to make it look nice the way he wants it he wants the water to rise when you add water it mm-hmm. w- when you add water the there's a progress bar that covers the whole screen yeah and the way you have it right now the background is blue and the progress bar that raises is gray it's a light blue but yeah it it looks gray like it's it's not Relative to the rest of the UI, it looks more gray. Okay, yeah. 
and Zach thinks that it should be the other way around. And I do agree with him, but I'm just trying, I'm having a hard time making it look good that way. But, well, I'll get it done. Don't worry, <laughs> listeners. I'm sure y'all, y'all got water to track and can't be, there are other improvements that could just make water tracking more convenient, like adding 3D touch support or adding Apple Health integration. Mm-hmm. But, nope. The UI comes first, people. If you if you meet your water goal frequently, mm-hmm. then you probably have a routine to do so. Yeah. Uh, Actually, the, this was going to be a transition, but now I want to know, do you have like a little confetti particle effect that comes up when you meet your goal? It, you have a notification, but I could add a confetti particle effect if you think that's... I think that might be a little extravagant, but... I mean, it's a 7 megabyte app, so <laughs> and I think that would push it up to 14 if I added <laughs> that particle uh, emitter. That's less than some websites, I'm pretty sure, isn't it? Yeah. Whew. Uh, I've run efficient code, Zach. All right. <laughs> also, um, Apple's uh, Swift Bitcode is actually really awesome, and no one knows about it. It's not bytecode? No, it's bitcode. What? Okay, we're diving into this now. What? Okay. Uh, Swift Bitcode. I'm not sure if it's similar to Bytecode. I've never heard of that. But um, essentially, since an iPhone 6 user doesn't need the iPad version of the binary, it will only download that part. Okay. It'll when you when you download the app, it'll only download the parts you need. And that's the whole idea of Bitcode. Like it breaks it up into chunks of here's what each device needs to run. All right. So you can upload the whole thing as a big file. Oh, so okay, the, wow. The app might be, the app as a whole might be 30 megabytes, but when, when you upload it, but when you're actually downloading it, it might be seven. Because it decides what you need and what you don't. Yeah. Like you wouldn't need the Force Touch libraries. Yeah, because I don't have Force Touch on my phone. Huh. All right. Yeah, I don't think that's, got much to do with bytecode bytecode is um the intermittent language between written java and then what actually runs on your computer it's the stuff that the doesn't sound similar java vm runs you compile to bytecode and then the virtual machine runs the bytecode it's java works (laughs) uh we try transitioning to routines but i'm just gonna jump into it okay um how many things do you have that you do on a routine or as a routine? So like a morning routine, for example. Uh, okay. So here's the thing, Zach. Yeah. I have essentially no schedule at <laughs> right now. I wake up, go to sleep, eat when I want to and feel like I should. Mm-hmm. And that makes routines really hard, actually. But I think I've developed a system now, at least subconsciously that will i say okay i'm getting presentable after waking up yeah which includes uh shower brush teeth comb hair mm-hmm. and that is the that is that routine there's no it doesn't go any farther beyond that it's that mm-hmm. it it's modular like that um and i have a routine for making a sandwich you know but it's you you declare a start i guess yeah and that is how you get you deal with a non-scheduled routine okay but it's it's always the same thing it's in the same order yeah just sometimes it's 11 and sometimes it's at two 
And sometimes I don't do it at all that day. If I'm not going anywhere, I don't need to become pre- presentable. So, mm. um, If you're not eating a sandwich, you don't need to make a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like I do this every day for lunch because it's easy and it's routine. It's just if I want a sandwich, I start the sandwich making routine, mm-hmm. which is you open the fridge, grab the proper things, and you do them in the, in the same order every time to make it easy on yourself. You don't have to think about making the sandwich. You just do it. Yeah. So... Cool. Those are the only types of routines I have, I guess. Mm-hmm. That might change in the future, but for now, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, none of mine are really time-based either. They're just, when I wake up, I will do the post-wake-up routine where I get up and... I, I guess it's not as routine as I like to think it is, because some days I get up and I shower, and then I go through my day, and some days I get up and I work out, and then I shower, and then I go through my day, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It... I decide what the routine or what the order of events is going to be the night before, usually. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. But it's not extremely routine. The only thing that's, like, set in stone routine is when I walk into work. I pick up my keys, grab the sheet that says what I'm doing today, then clock in, log in, or go into the room, grab my radio, grab my name tag, and then I'm ready to start doing whatever the rest of the day is. Well, uh, we're going to move into our book club portion of the podcast. Um, we are reading Reem D up till page 576, which is the start of day seven and the end of day six. Uh, if you have not gotten there yet, um, pause the podcast and get there, then come back. If you are not reading with us, um, you can probably stop the podcast right after you hear what we have to say, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is... Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am at not Stephen Barry, and I am at the Puns Guy. Don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe. I think those are all things you can do with the podcast. Yeah, neat. Read the show notes; they're interesting. <laughs> and now we're going to move on to Reemdi uh, up to the end of day six. I took way more notes than than I usually do. I took different notes, and okay. I think that was a bad decision. Okay. Uh, are they in chronological order? Sort of. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to go to the, pretty much the beginning of day five. Okay. Which was when Olivia was on the fly making up a cipher with her contacts from MI6. Was it on the fly? She had to... De- she. It seemed like it. They might have had a few code words that were... Because it seemed like she had to figure out what he was saying. And yeah. Not, and not just in the way that you use a decoder ring to mm-hmm. do it. You, she had to, oh, that's a metaphor for this. And my question is, why not just use an encrypted messenger rather than trying to make uh, on-the-fly discrete cipher? So a specific encryption, like encrypted messaging app on the device? Yeah, just Signal. Yeah. I can't think of any reason not to use Signal. You can text in places you can't use data. Okay. It's the... the use an offline... It's encryption. a really weak excuse, yeah. but it's... Yeah, that's all I got. But it was very strange that they tried to, like, do something like that. Yeah. And I think the idea also was that she could do it from any situation, or... I suppose, yeah. You could do it over a dumb phone as well as a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So long as you can get the message yeah. to MI6. Plus, if if you were 
at a dinner party and somebody came up to you and was like, hey, I know who you are, you could be like, well, crap. And then you could be at the dinner party still texting about picking up Graham at the airport or whatever the code word was. Yeah. Yeah. But mostly it it's just fun spy talk by Neil Stevenson. All right. Um, so I actually did my notes in a grid. Okay. For all the characters. Oh, okay. It was wrong. Because it was more just about keeping the events straight in my head. Because when I started, I had kind of forgotten what happened in day four. Because okay. it was a lot. Um, so for all of day five, I can really well tell you what happened. <laughs> and how they okay. crossed over a little bit, but not what any of my thoughts were on it. Okay. Um, do you want to on the fly make some make some thoughts up or should we just go down my list we can go down your list and i'll i'll add in probably okay so my next note was a question for you zach Mm -hmm. uh so i'm currently right now putting you in a situation in which you are required to spy on someone without them knowing how do you do that uh okay do do they have any reason to suspect me i i would never be a spy steven this is (laughs) like gun to my head i probably would just screw up at spying and (laughs) (laughs) well uh okay so the thought was when olivia was in the airport noticing everyone with the newspapers and dark sunglasses (laughs) stereotypical like someone watching you stuff Mm -hmm. and so my thought was you probably wouldn't go about it that way you wouldn't get behind a newspaper and watch someone like that what would you do I don't know. I I really don't. I follow from a distance, I guess. Just try and get general information first. Okay. Where and when more than specific, like, conversations that were being had. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, I'm really not sure. Okay. Uh, Let me rephrase it then. Not spying in general, maybe, but determining whether or not someone is a bad actor. Not in the theatrical sense. (laughs) Don't even start. But Check for actor's foot, mostly. Um, Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so you're saying whether her finding out if George is a good dude or not, right? This is what you're trying no, to get at? No, I'm not. I'm just expanding my question now, uh, r- narrowing it down rather so that I can get an actual answer out of you. Uh, it's going to be hard, Stephen, because I really don't have an answer to give. Uh, okay. H- how would you go about it? I would find a Radio Shack, tap their phone lines... Get a small camera, put it in their air vent, spy movie stuff. I would plant a bug on them. Microphones are small. Yeah. Uh, a pineapple would be good. Wi-Fi pineapple. Wi-Fi not, pineapple. Not like an actual pineapple. <laughs> Hit them in the head that... with the pineapple. <laughs> Kidnap them, find out if they're terrorists. Oh. Um, I, I don't have much, like, confidence in my abilities of sneaking neither do i but i would if someone was putting a gun to my head and said find out if this dude's a bad guy i would do it i would do my best yeah but i would definitely like go up and scheme up a couple ways to put a bug on the person and royally mess it up okay i'm gonna drop in mission impossible style and yeah place it on them just like that not bump into them at a coffee shop while putting it in their pocket i feel like i would also mess that up Probably, but you got to try. I guess, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all I got for that. I, I would probably do more of the Zula thing and be like, what can I do so that I am no longer in danger? This is less <laughs> about tapping them and more about getting the gun off of my head. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but 
That wasn't the question. <laughs> All right. Um, my next note is Olivia seems to have a serious aversion to makeup. She was like, I have this makeup on me and it looks bad and I look like a doll or whatever. And um, Sokolov yeah. was with her, right? Sokolov was like, she looks good. Mm-hmm. She's fine. So I'm going to have to assume that he knows what looks fine and what and that she just has a serious aversion to makeup. Because they wouldn't make her wear makeup if it wasn't required. Yeah. Yeah. Also that it was not her and also not her last persona. Yeah. Okay. Um, next is Richard, actually. Mm-hmm. They He mentions that he bought, with his sledgehammer that he broke down Zula's door with, uh, he bought ergonomic work gloves. Yeah. An impulse buy as he was leaving the store. Yeah. What are ergonomic work gloves? Uh, so generally work gloves are like leather yeah. or something. So ergonomic might have more padding in places that you're generally holding on to things. Best Google result was basically just putting seams where the fingers usually bend. Oh, that so also can, makes sense. Yeah. I guess a lot of times when I'm reading Neil Stevenson, I kind of assume that some of it is super superfluous. Yeah. And it's that's why I like it. Cause it's, there are some sci-fi books where I'm like, Okay, all of this is definitely going to be relevant later. Because mm-hmm. he's putting in a detail, and therefore he means to bring it up later. Yeah. But with Neil Stevenson, I can't tell what is superfluous and what is going to be relevant later. Because a lot of it is just parts of life. Like, that's something that you would do. Yeah. Even in high-stress situations, or especially in high-stress situations. is an impulse buy of ergonomic work gloves. Yeah. And it, it introduces to you to this idea that this guy who was high and mighty and the owner of this big influential company might break down his morals of running a company and yeah that's another note i had later but yeah that we we didn't quite get there but to running the company part but he's definitely like breaking the law in entering zula's home yeah and breaking down the door and such um speaking of which uh richard came back with a bang you could say yeah uh that gay couple in the hallway was way too understanding. From from what they had said, it sounded like they were just as concerned or... Yeah, but he's taking a sledgehammer to a door. Maybe you'd be like, okay, wait, we'll find a key. We'll, like, pick the lock or something. You don't need to break the door. Yeah, actually, this guy has a building full of nerds to call upon. Yes. One of them doesn't know how to pick a house lock. I disagree with the notion that he needs to break down the door with his sledgehammer. Maybe psychologically he does. Like, he is so frustrated with this investigation that he needs to take it out on this door. But realistically, the skate couple really doesn't need to let him break down the door. Mm -hmm. Not that they could stop him or anything, but, like, they could be object, maybe. Yeah. They were like, yeah, go for it, man. Break down that door. We're worried about Zula, too. (laughs) Also, by the time we get to day five... It's a lot less about fun tech and exchange rates yeah. in, in the world and how they get things done and more about terrorism. Yeah, I was surprised. There's not an, as much um, worrying bugs talk. Yeah. It's more like an actual story now. But it's still thrilling. Oh, of course. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a, it's a good book, but come on now. <laughs> we, need, we need some productivity schemes to talk about. <laughs> um. When Zula was hit in the face with a gun, mm-hmm. she mentioned that she wasn't, she cried, not because she was upset or anything, 
but it was just her natural response to being hit in the face. Yeah, which I think has been mentioned, either it was mentioned again in this book or yeah. it has been mentioned before, that it's more the shock of the thing than the pain. Yeah, and which it seems like a really weird reaction to me for humans to cry when we get hit in the face. I'm sure it's to protect the eyes in some way. Oh, I thought it meant like cried out, like a yell. Oh, no, I, oh, maybe I assumed um, tears. It's possible. Should get some context clues on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, that would be. Was that when uh, Khalid broke in? Yeah, that was when Khalid. Um, he let out a cry of rage. It was when when Khalid came in. He hit her, right? Uh, yeah, or something like some something around then, at least. Can you do a command F and look for cry? Yes, but okay, I have him. Oh, yeah, no. Tears welling out of her eyes. Not out of emotion, but an involuntary response. So, yeah, it was just... I'm not really sure why, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, why that is our natural response to being hit in the face. Yeah, probably to flush the eyes, like you said. Mm -hmm. Like when you get... It just seems like if you are being hit in the face, that means that there is danger and you want your your vision to be clear. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, maybe being able to see in general is more important than being able to see right now. Yeah. Hmm, who knows? Um, Z- uh, Zula shot Khalid, even though, like, the paragraph before she said sh- she shouldn't do that because the plane would depressurize. Mm-hmm. Heat of the moment? It was, but she thought the thoughts. Yeah. Don't shoot him because the plane will depressurize and then shot him and then made the plane depressurize. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's a bullet hole. So unless something incredible happened, the plane shouldn't have gone down. It would just, you would take a piece of duct tape and cover up the hole. I, I don't think the plane went down from it, did it? Well, the I, I the plane went down. Yeah. I don't... We don't really know why. Yeah. I, I, we, I we It seemed to, to ass- me like they were forced to go down there. I think so too, but there was also a... Uh, it was a crash or a controlled crash landing. Yeah. Because there was a, they mentioned later that there was a trail of wh- where the plane dug up the ground mm-hmm. and hit a bunch of trees. Yeah. But, um, so you have to assume that by some weird thing, the plane went down because Zula shot a hole in the plane. Yeah. I. Uh, but, yeah, I understand that it's, I'm not sure how fast a, uh aircraft would depressurize from a hole the mm-hmm. size of a bullet or a slightly larger than the size of a bullet. It's also interesting that Neil Stevenson uses that as a plot point in another of his books, too. Oh, yeah. In uh, Seven Eves. Yeah. In Seven Eves, they have... Um, th- they're in space. They're in space and can't... Would be It would be a really bad idea to fire a conventional projectile. Mm-hmm. Because if... It's one thing to vent air out into more air, but into a vacuum, it's going to go really fast. Yeah. Actually, in Seven Eves, they develop... Um, bullets that will fragment upon impact with a solid object so that it wouldn't puncture the hull. Mm-hmm. Um, Sokolov was really awful to Olivia when he faked his own death. Looking out for number one is what he was doing. Yeah, he had good intentions, but that is not the way to do it, in my opinion. Correct. I don't think we're supposed to put ourselves in Sokolov's shoes all that much. I guess. I, I think it's intentionally not what you would do. Probably right. Uh, Zula learned Joan's smell. When yeah. That, 
it was something interesting. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it, but also he would probably smell a lot like all the other jihadists who were in the mm-hmm. the same room for however long. Yeah, you'd smell pretty similar at least. So that that is interesting, but um, I think Neil Stevenson just needed a way to say Jones came in and she knew it was Jones, even though she had stuff over her eyes. Yeah. This is the first time Zula used her uncle's fame and fortune to get her out of a situation. Yeah. Which, if I were her, I'd be like, I have an off. My uncle can just repay you the money if you don't kill me and not get into this mess in the first place. Yeah. Like, you don't need that money. You need money in general. Just let me. There seems to be a matter of pride, though, within that family of not leaning too hard on Richard. Probably. But, you know, she's clearly not against it. She's She's clearly not against it when it's literally her life on the line. It was literally her life on the line before. Probably. This is... There... (laughs) It feels different. It does, but objectively it's the same. Correct. Um, Richard's Google Foo is much better than mine in finding Peter's address. Until a couple years ago, you could... They just had, like, the yellow pages. Yeah, I know, but figuring out... He didn't even know his last name. Yeah. Figuring out all that was the impressive part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, finding someone's address from their name is not the most difficult thing, but just using what you know about someone to find their place of living is quite impressive. Yeah. Using a search engine. I mean, Mm -hmm. the welder, too, was also way too okay with Richard doing this. Yeah. That one I I don't have an explanation for, really. He just... He wanted his Wi-Fi back up? Yeah, maybe. Or still... You're breaking into some dude's house. Yeah. Yeah. Your landlord's house. That's worse. Because he can evict you. This is true. Yeah. I I can't explain it, Steven. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think they just, just kind of went along with it. Richard's just getting really lucky is all I'm saying, that no one's telling the police what he's doing. That's a lot of his life. That is true, also. Y- uh, you can't be a protagonist who just never has anything lucky happen to you. <laughs> That's not how this works. Oh, come on. That's that's the plot of something, I'm sure, where you are... You're t- you can't tell me that there's not a story where the protagonist is just the unluckiest SOB, but you just still root for him because he keeps doing the right thing. Not a John Green novel, but like one of John Green's friends' novels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Peter totally just uses a time capsule router, <laughs> which... Time machine backups are encrypted by default. So, well, well, no, because Peter was a security nut. Yeah, so I'm thinking Peter was really paranoid. Yeah. Um, Richard thinks he can do a better job than the police. He's probably right, just because the police have to follow the laws, and Richard apparently does not. And he has a little more vested interest. Yeah. And general information about the situation. Yeah, he has the advantage of owning terrain. terrain. Yeah. Not owning, but being uh, the creator of terrain. Because mm-hmm. my next note is that Richard is willing to disobey company protocol to save Zula. Which is cool and all. That's almost exactly what my last note was, too. <laughs> which is cool and all, but I don't think that he should have that kind of power. Especially now that he no longer runs the company officially. Yeah? Un- yeah, that much unchecked power. Yeah. Especially when people have that much money invested in it. You need a safety, in my opinion. But... Mm-hmm. That is not how they set it up, and everyone was okay at that. With that, so I mean, well, I, I, they didn't really change company policy. No, they just the company policy is still to say f off when the police come. 
Yeah, but it's still setting a precedent saying, hey, if you uh, are in some issues relating to T-Rain, we'll help you out. If you're Richard. Yeah, but you're not Richard. I understand it's not actually setting a precedent, but if word got out that yeah. he did this, it would be like, well, my daughter was kidnapped. Why can't you help me? Because we say F off to police. Mm-hmm. And you're probably using the police. And yeah. even if we, even if you weren't the police, it would still set a precedent. Yeah. So while I do think that Richard should do this to save Zula, because I like them both. Mm-hmm. Technically, if if you were an investor in the company, I would be quite pissed. Yeah. That's all I got. Me too. All right. It's a good book so it, far. I it suppose. really is. But very interesting. All right, next episode, we'll be back uh, with our thoughts up to the end of day 15, start of day 17, which is page 682. That's 106 pages. Uh, If you have any thoughts on our thoughts of the book or any thoughts of your own, uh, we'd love to hear them. Be sure to tweet at us. And we're back. I, yeah. They didn't know we left, but we're back, <laughs> and we're going to be gone again in a, in a second. Uh, but before we're gone, be sure to reach out and let us know what you thought on Twitter or on iTunes comments, whatever medium you choose. I'm on Twitter at the Puns Guy, And I am at NotStevenBerry, and we'll see you in two weeks. Good, 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 goodbye. Good, good, goodbye. Goodbye.